This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey playoff hockey that is because we've got the first two games of a second round series to break down which is very exciting i am ben goats one of your las vegas review journal beat writers and joining me as he always does is my colleague dave shane uh dave have you rubbed the sleep out of your eyes after another late night last night i did i'm gonna go uh real quick run to my social media uh, throw something incendiary on there again and, uh, you know, start up a whole nother firestorm though. So <laughs> we just can't get away from it. Can't get away from it. Thanks, Jonathan March. So exactly. There's always something happening with this team and we will get you apprised of the latest kind of pop-up situation that has happened with the Knights after, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, Alan Walsh also created a social media storm over the weekend. We recorded a podcast about that on Sunday um, and then also broke down the next series. So if you guys haven't listened to that yet, uh, feel free to. We'll be, of course, re kind of touching on the goalie topics today, um, as well as just breaking down the first two games of this series, since this is when we normally record during the week. And of course, we just felt we needed to give you guys an emergency episode on Sunday because the series was starting and we had some significant news. Uh, But before we get to the latest news and the latest happenings, with the Golden Knights, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Sunday Ticket, Deal Dash, and a favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, make sure to check out all our work at reviewjournal.com. Uh, Dave had a really good story yesterday on a very special anniversary for the Stasny family. Of course, he also had the game story last night, game two. Uh, I wrote some takeaways that I you know thought were interesting off that game. And of course, we have kind of the latest social media kerfuffle uh, involving the Knights up there as well, courtesy of Adam Hill. Uh, also, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, do to this podcast. All right. 
So, Dave, we are two games into the Golden Knights second round series against the Vancouver Canucks. It has already gone from a best of seven to a best of five because uh, each team has won a game apiece. The Knights won game one, five, nothing with a really dominant effort. They really blew the Canucks off the ice. And then Vancouver came storming back and took game two, five, two, thanks to some timely goals and big defensive lapses by the Knights. And that was clearly frustrating for one of the Knights players, uh, left wing Jonathan Marcheseau, who took to social media to lash out at some fans who, to be fair, were also posting some not so nice things on just kind of an innocuous picture on his Instagram account where uh, he posted a picture of his wife for their anniversary. And I should mention before setting you up, Dave, that it was just Jonathan Marcheseau's verified Instagram account. We don't know who else might have had access to that. And we are going off of posted screenshots. The comments have uh, since been deleted. But basically, these comments were seen in his verified Insta- by his verified Instagram account last night after the loss because uh, it seemed to be mainly Canucks fans or just angry fans in his mentions kind of taking some pot shots at uh, some of his play from last night. Yeah, well, I mean, let's start with one. This goes to my point of Jonathan Marchessault can't be your captain because the captain can't do this type of stuff. And this is Jonathan Marchessault in a nutshell. Like you're in a bubble and you're frustrated to all heck after a game. And people are, like you said, taking shots at you and not to condone what he did. But, you know, he's frustrated and he fired off. And, and you know, I mean, Kevin Durant's fired off at fans and, you know, the NBA before it's, I mean, I think we've seen this in that sense. I mean, it'll be interesting just to see what happens with him. If he's disciplined, if he's fined by the league or if the team does something, anything like that. But it's just, to me, it's more a matter of like, it's another kind of, I'll use Pete DeBoer's term outside noise. You know, it's, it's another distraction and, and it, I understand the frustration, but it's kind of like, you know, are the Canucks really getting to them that much after one game? I mean, that would be telling if they are. Yeah, well, I think one thing that you mentioned at the top is, you know, interesting to me of just how much does the bubble play in all this? How much does, of course, you know, if you're Jonathan Marsh, so you've been away from your wife and your four kids for a really long time. He's talked about how his one-year-old has started walking and he's not there. And I can't even imagine because I, of course, I'm not a father myself, what that must feel like to be away for that moment. So, you know, you can understand kind of all those frustrations maybe boiling over, not in this particular way, because as you said, in no way do we condone the comments that were made on Marcia So's Instagram account yesterday. They were, uh, one of them was explicit. It's, there's just no place for it. You can't do it like bottom line, but obviously you can understand the emotions that might lead him to make a comment like that. If indeed, like I said, it was him. Cause we don't know if someone else had access to that account or anything like that. Uh, it was, as you said, a distraction for the Knights because now this series has gotten interesting. It's, you know, one, one, it certainly looked like the Knights were going to roll after game one. I think a lot of fans were pretty confident after watching that effort. Uh, you know, so far through these first 120 minutes of hockey, Dave, has anything that you've seen kind of changed your opinion or your outlook on this series compared to, you know, what we talked about leading into game one on Sunday? No, not really, because I think each team sort of found its blueprint. Each team said, OK, if we play this way, we're going to win. Uh, I think 
you know, game one was really interesting to me. I've made the analogy with a couple people. So not that I condone violence or, or anything like that, but what that game was, was you and your boys rolled into the club and there was somebody running around doing all kinds of goofy stuff. And, and your guy walked up to him and said, Hey, knock it off. And he did. And when you're, when your guy does that, well, what happens? You, you think you own the club. Now you can do whatever you want because your guy's going to take care of it. That's what Ryan Reeves did. And the golden Knights basically ran rampant and they were running their mouth on the bench, clucking like chickens. They were stick tapping, you know, as an entire team, when Antoine Roussel got out of the penalty box, you know, after his 10 minute misconduct, I, I hesitated to use this word in a story. I'll, I'll use it on a, on a podcast. So they punked them in game one. It, they, they, they literally laughed in their face. And then in game two, I don't know if they tried to do the same thing, but the, the Canucks who seemed to kind of instigate, instigate that in game one said, well, all right, we're going to throw our skill at you. And they threw their skill at them and it was two nothing. And then the Knights were chasing a game and they seemed to kind yeah, of what? go ahead. Oh, sorry to go to your point. I mean, part of the reason the Knights couldn't kind of punk them again is they didn't have time to the Canucks took the lead uh, literally a minute and a half into the game. So all of a sudden the Knights had no time to kind of set an even playing field. They were trailing from the get go. And as a result of that, I mean, I wrote this in my story today. I mean, Ryan Reeves basically played half of what he did in game one. Cause in one game, the Knights are, you know, leading, they're feeling good about themselves. DeBoer keeps sending Ryan Reeves over the bench to kind of pummel the other team and rub it in their face. Game two, you're trailing literally right from the get-go and you can't send out that fourth line as much because you need someone to provide offense for you. So I think that was, you know, a huge part of the story of the Canucks coming back to tie the series 1-1. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed nailed it right on the head. I mean, they're chasing the game. It's 2-1. They seem to kind of crawl back into it. And maybe at that point, okay, you know, you can roll your lines and you can feel good and you got momentum and then they go and give that a goal up to Patterson off the faceoff, which I think it was Boston scored almost an identical goal off a set play earlier, maybe in their first round series. I, I don't remember, but it's a basic, you know, I mean, you, you run that playing like Bantam hockey, you know, and the, and the Knights let the Canucks best player free on a faceoff, And then they're just right back in the hole. And like Pete DeBoer said, they undid all the good work that they had, they had done to get back in the game in the second period. So no, it hasn't really changed my opinion because of all the things we talked about, Ben, that, that the Canucks are dangerous and the things that the Blackhawks were maybe able to do and exploit a little bit, the Canucks were able to exploit more and, and take advantage of more in game two. And if it continues that way, then the Knights are going to have a struggle in this series because I think, like I said, both teams kind of have figured out the formula. And now it's a matter of who can, who can impose their will and, and dictate the tempo and dictate the style for the rest of these five games. Yeah. We said on Sunday that the Canucks are kind of the younger, sexier version of the Blackhawks. And I think that's, you know, proven to be true in ways, both good and bad. It's good in the fact of the Canucks, you know, legitimately, beat the Knights last night. That was not a fluke. That was not lucky. It was not the same as the Blackhawks winning game four last series because Corey Crawford stood on his head. Uh, you know, Jacob Markstrom, I think was good yesterday, but I don't think he had to make, you know, 
any quote unquote 10 bell saves outside of maybe one with this blocker that really made your jaw drop. The Canucks were just better in the first and third periods. But even in the second, you still saw, okay, when the Knights are able to actually roll their lines and get all four of them going, they have more depth than the Canucks and they can outplay them five on five. And so, you know, I think the series is kind of going, you know, kind of to schedule, I guess, for lack of a better word, to this point. The Canucks are showing they're dangerous. They're a little bit weaker five on five, but there are a couple areas that they can exploit and they have the top end skill to do that. And I think, the face-off play that you mentioned is a great example of that because especially, I mean, that's one area of the series that has just been absolutely lopsided so far is the Canucks have won almost 65% of the face-offs. And when you start with the puck in the offensive zone like that, uh, if you're the Canucks, you can make good things happen with guys like, you know, Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, uh, Brock Besser, uh, Tyler Toffoli last night who, who came in and had a three-point night. And you can tell... Pete DeBoer is kind of a detail freak. And I know after game one, he was asked about, you know, what can you, you know, improve or what, what didn't you do well or whatever. And the first thing out of his mouth is like, we got our butts kicked on the faceoffs. That was after a five, nothing, you know, thumping that they were, you know, on the good side of. So to give up a goal uh, at a key time off a faceoff and to lose, you know, 60 something percent again, I, that's got to, you, you know, that's the, the, the Peter Griffin that really grinds my gears. Like there's no way that he's not just stewing over this face off stuff. No, totally. Um, you know, it's the last thing I kind of want to touch on for, for these first two games here. Cause you know, it's still two games. There's still a lot of kind of road to still be run here in this uh, playoff series. Do you view it as, you know, a positive or negative for the Knights that, like I said, the Canucks, haven't exactly, you know, had to quote unquote steal one yet. They won two periods in game two, which led them to a win, but we haven't seen their special teams really come alive yet, which we said was one of the X factors of the series. And, you know, like I said uh, kind of earlier, I don't think Markstrom has really had to stand on his head yet. He got pulled in game one. I think he was good, if not great in game two, but I don't think he necessarily, you know, was keeping them, in the game, even when the Knights were kind of controlling play in the second period, just because the guys in front of him blocked so many shots. So, you know, do we view it as a positive that the Knights are kind of making those things not as big of a factor as maybe we would have thought in this series? Or does that tell you, you know, somewhere down the line, those things are going to show up and that might cost the Knights an extra game or two? Yeah, I mean, that's an, I, didn't, I guess I didn't think about it in that regard because I kind of viewed it as a positive originally. Now you're making me think a little bit, um, but I kind of viewed it as, is they, they haven't done anything that they didn't know was going to happen. They knew Pedersen was good. They knew Quinn Hughes is good. They knew Markstrom can play well in a game. Cause I agree with you. I don't think that was a goalie stole the game kind of effort. I, I thought, like you said earlier, the Canucks were just a better team and, and deserved to win that game. I don't think they've seen anything that's really different. It, it, maybe I would feel like if you, where the Canucks and you walked out and you presented a whole bunch of different problems or something that you weren't expecting, changed the lines up, maybe different guys were having an impact or, or things like that. Then you would go, you know, Oh shoot. You know, now we got to go back to the drawing board. Now we got to figure some things out. Now we got to work on some stuff because we weren't anticipating. I, I don't really see it like that. They, they, they knew they have to stop these guys. They, they, you know, you know, you have to take away time and space and all those sorts of things that cliches that they always throw out about it. 
And that's just what it really real, what it came down to. They didn't take away Elias Pedersen's time and space early, you know, Shea Theodore, let him get around him, get room behind the net and create. I don't know if he was trying to wrap, you know, make that a wraparound shot. I actually think he saw Toffoli at the back post there. And, and that was a pass for the first goal. So if you let him create and do those sorts of things that they didn't let him do in game one, that's, what's going to happen. But I don't think that's a big revelation in that regard. So I guess if you're one, one in a series and that's how you lose a game, you know, that's probably a positive that I don't think that really worries you or scares you. Yeah. I mean, I think things that is kind of played out that way to script the first game, the Canucks star players were basically absent, you know, from the score sheet. Pedersen didn't even have a shot on goal in game one. I don't believe uh, Brock Besser or Quinn Hughes did either. JT Miller only had one. And of course, uh, Tyler Toffoli was not in the lineup because he was still nursing an injury. Well, Toffoli comes back. He has a three-point night. Pedersen has a three-point night. Besser picks up an assist on one of the goals, I believe. Bull Horvat, their captain, scores two goals. And what do you know? Canucks win. So, you know, it all does kind of come back to the Canucks stars showing up or they don't because the Knights have the depth edge. I mean, we've seen Alex Tuck score in, I believe, now three straight goals. So that third line for the Knights is really controlling play. It's just a matter of, you know, can the Knights' top two lines win their matchups or play close to even? Because if so, the Knights' kind of, uh, you know, four-line advantage is really going to show up. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up, on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code EDGE or DealDash.fm backslash EDGE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash EDGE. Uh, well, we talked about Markstrom. I now want to move the conversation back to the Golden Knights goalie side of the equation because, you know, as I said earlier uh, on Sunday, we discussed Alan Walsh's uh, fun little tweet that has since been deleted. Uh, for those of you that have somehow missed this at this point, I don't know how you have. Alan Walsh tweeted a photo on Saturday of his longtime client. Uh, he's known Mark andre Fleury since he was 15 with a sword in his back while he was playing goaltender. And the sword had the word bore on it so it was uh, pretty clearly a pointed pun intended jab at you know 
Mark Andre Fleury's lack of playing time this postseason. Robin Leonard has now started eight of the team's ten playoff games, and he is, I believe, now. Oh man, I should have done this math beforehand. Uh, Leonard is six and two. There we go in those playoff games. While Fleury is two and zero. Oh. So uh, Walsh certainly started a kerfuffle. Mark Andre Fleury had to kind of try to stamp out the fire Sunday morning in a brief media session with us. And since then, we've heard from some more kind of key players in this situation, namely Robin Leonard and Pete DeBoer. Leonard said after the game on Sunday, where he posted a shut up, by the way, to kind of make any talk of who should be the goalie move. Not that there really should have been much internally anyway, that he and Flurry were laughing about the tweet. He said they have a really good relationship. And Leonard said something that I thought was interesting, which was, you know, I've kind of been in this situation before where I'm the guy that's not the guy. You know, and obviously a really good example of that is how we started this year in Chicago, where you have Corey Crawford, who has led the Blackhawks to two Stanley Cups in net. And Leonard showed up on a one-year deal to try to compete with him. And obviously, that's probably not a fun situation for him to be in. But, you know, he got through it. He pushed through it. He overall played really well. And then he got traded to the Knights um, at the trade deadline and has kind of found himself in a similar position with Marc-Andre Fleury, kind of this beloved franchise icon who he is all of a sudden, you know, unseated to become the number one goaltender in the playoffs. Uh, And then... You know, the other thing that DeBoer said was basically DeBoer said that is quote unquote outside noise and it is not going to affect our thinking. He said he talked to Flurry. The two of them had a meeting on Saturday and that he's confident that this is not going to be an issue moving forward. That being said, Dave, do you think the Knights have successfully, you know, so far, quote unquote, defused this situation? Or do you think this is something that just is going to pop up? again before their playoff run is all said and done here well that i mean that's a hard question because i think internally they've done what they can and they've done the best job to defuse it i I think in that locker room it's a non-issue but it's a big issue outside the bubble it's a big issue you know with fans social media with the media just in general around the league you know, that's the other side of this too. Like the other teams and other players and other people are, you know, involved in the NHL and around the league are talking about this too. It's a major, major talking point in that regard. So maybe they can't get away from it. Maybe the fact that they're isolated up there, even, you know, in a bubble, they're still getting, you know, questions at the Tim Hortons truck when they go get their Timmy's, you know, like, hey, what's going on with Flower? What's going on with Leonard? I mean, maybe they can't escape it. I don't know. It seems like internally within the players that it's a non-issue, that they know that Leonard is the goaltender. Going forward, uh, you know, good question. I don't know because if if there are people that feel similar to fans and feel like Flower should be getting a chance, you know, that then maybe maybe in that sense, I just, I just call him Flower. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm trying to be a fan. I'm trying to be a fan, put myself in their shoes. You did um, a couple times. But maybe, maybe at that point, then there is discord. Maybe at that point, there is a little bit of, you know, Hey, Flurry needs to play here or what's going on. But for right now, it feels like it, within that locker room that everybody should know or does know that, that Leonard's a starting goaltender and there's not a point of contention there. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you make a good point of, I think there's a lot more discord 
outside than in. I mean, it's been pretty obvious both from, well, not really since, because Pete DeVore's tried to keep this situation pretty, you know, opaque, I guess, in the, the public. I don't even know if I just used that word correctly. I probably didn't, but he is, you know, not definitively said Robin Leonard is my guy, but everything he has done since the restart has indicated, yes, Robin Leonard is the guy and he's the one that we're going to lean on to, you know, lead us to the Stanley cup, which is, we've discussed numerous times. There's a lot of logic there. And if you believe that, uh, Pete DeBoer is a good NHL coach, which is track record, both with the Knights and before he came to the Knights, seems to indicate, then, you know, I think a lot of fans would say, you just kind of have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Now. I think what's tough is that this, uh, kind of kerfuffle the last couple of days has certainly led a lot of fans to question whether DeBoer knows what he's doing and whether he should be starting Marc-Andre Fleury, which, you know, is fascinating to me because this team has been winning so much under DeBoer and so much uh, with Robin Leonard. And I think it just shows the passion that Fleury has engendered with this fan base, you know, in three years, deservedly so obviously with what he did, with the 2018 run to the Stanley Cup final. But here we are two years later. He hasn't been at his best this season. And certainly Robin Leonard has been excellent. So it's still interesting to me that a lot of fans out there just believe that Marc-Andre Fleury should still be the guy. And I should also say, you know, the Alan Walsh tweet aside, because I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions about that and the timing of it and whether it should have been done and whether... You know, it should be, you know, put it out in the public like Alan Walsh did, to which I know you talked about this last week. But, you know, Alan Walsh's job is to serve Marc-Andre Fleury as best he can. His job is not to do what the best thing is for the Golden Knights. And I understand that that's frustrating for fans, but that's the reality. Uh, But I think you can look at this situation and say kind of no one's totally in the wrong here. Uh, Golden Knights general manager Kelly McCrimmon and, of course, president of hockey operations George McPhee were not wrong when they looked at their goaltending situation at the trade deadline and say, we need to be better here, not just because Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't having his best season, but because especially Malcolm Subban was not getting it done as a backup, especially the last two years. Subban had really struggled to kind of lead the Knights to victories. So it made perfect sense that they said, we got to patch up this kind of weak spot on our team, especially when the rest of the roster is so good. It makes sense for Pete DeBoer to then come in and say, Hey, like it's my job to get this team to a Stanley cup. I have to play the guys that I think give us the best chance to win each game. And, you know, in my estimation, that's Robin Leonard. He's right for thinking that way. Like I said, there's logic to that. And certainly his job is not to play the guy that the fans want the most. His job is to play the guy that he thinks is going to win the most. And then, of course, I think you can also say Marc-Andre Fleury is not wrong for potentially feeling hurt, you know, in all of this. When Kelly McCrimmon announced the Leonard trade at the deadline, he said, we didn't feel that we had enough behind Marc-Andre Fleury if anything were to happen to him to win the Stanley Cup. So the initial public comments were certainly, we view this as strengthening our goaltending depth, not necessarily bringing in a guy to compete with Marc-Andre Fleury. And so maybe there was a miscommunication there that you know led to Fleury's feelings getting hurt 
when all of a sudden he's riding the bench more often than not in the postseason and Leonard has taken over as the guy. And I would imagine for Marc-Andre Fleury, if not only you are kind of losing your number one job and not playing in the postseason, but you're also doing it in a bubble away from your family, that's got to make things even tougher. So I think what's you know tricky to me about this situation, Dave, is you can empathize with all parties, even though I'm guessing a lot of fans actually don't want to empathize with the Alan Walsh side of this, which is, of course, blowing all of this stuff up publicly and making a grand show of it uh, on Twitter Saturday. Yeah, I think the hard thing for me is to, is that we don't know what was said behind closed doors. We don't know what Fleury's, uh, I guess, conversations with Pete DeBoer, with Kelly McCrimmon, with George McPhee going back to February when he was acquired. We, we don't know what he was told. And then we don't know what he was told entering, you know, this training camp 2.0 and, and all this. Was it an open competition? Did he not feel like he had a fair shake? Did he, you know, feel like... He was promised one thing and, and Pete DeBoer didn't live up to it. Or so. That's the hard part because I think we're, we're sort of guessing at that. Because I also look at, you know, go back to February and, and what did a lot of us talk about and write about was Leonard's really good. And they maybe need to explore the option of him being the heir apparent, keeping both and all of these sorts of things. I think everybody right from the get-go, right from the February trade deadline when he was acquired, the narrative was he's really good. And, and I don't think it's anything more than that for Pete DeBoer right now. They're trying to win a Stanley cup and he feels like he's the better goaltender. And that's the guy that he's hitched his wagon to. So, uh, you know, I mean, not to like, I guess, spoil the next question and, you know, what do we think is going to happen and, and all that for game three. But I, I don't think you go away from him, meaning Robin Leonard, because you're one, one in the series and the team didn't play very well in front of him and you lost 5-2 with an empty netter. Like, why panic? And, and more than that is, if you're Pete DeBoer, why would you invite the outside noise in at this point by putting Flurry in the net? Because the moment that you do that, all the outside noise becomes relevant and all the outside noise now enters the bubble. And I just don't think if you're Pete DeBoer, you do that. I think back to that series against the Knights last year and how badly Martin Jones struggled in games. And everybody seemed to say, Oh, you got to go with Aaron Dell. Got to go with Aaron. Dell. you can't play Martin Jones. And what did Pete DeBoer do? He rode Martin Jones all the way to the end and Martin Jones stole a game. And then I guess held them in it long enough for them to win game seven. You know, so I don't expect Pete DeBoer to go away from Robin Leonard at this point, just because Alan Walsh, is angry and, and tweeted. And just because some fans, you know, maybe think that flurry didn't get a fair shake. I, I just don't see that that's Pete DeVore's perspective on this. See, he's got a guy that that's who the starter is. And, and that's who you go with. And, and unless you have a back-to-back, unless Robin Leonard needs a break, unless knock on wood, he gets hurt or unless he just really, really, really struggles and you're down say three, one in a series and you need something. I think Robin Leonard's in the crease the entire time. Yeah. And just to quick jump off of that, I think despite the fact that of course, Leonard let in four goals yesterday, the Knights lost five, two, but one of them was an empty netter. I don't think there was anything that I saw yesterday to say that Robin Leonard quote unquote struggled. I mean, I saw some fans on Twitter just saying, Oh, he looks tired or yada, yada, yada. I mean, to me, that's 
just trying to come up with convenient excuses to put the flurry back in the net. Leonard was fine yesterday. Leonard, you know, you could say was not good, but I would argue the main culprit was the fact that he had shots coming in from about two feet in front of him. I mean, we talked about the Pedersen goal where he's literally one-on-one with Leonard. Knights can't let that happen when it's five on five. One of the other goals Leonard gave up was basically a two on O right in front of his crease because all the night skaters got sucked up kind of to the face-off dots and there was no one below checking two different Vancouver players. And the first goal, which we already mentioned too, where Pedersen kind of creates a chance by getting around Shea Theodore on the outside. I mean, Tyler Toffoli is wide open at the back post and that's because Martinez kind of has to all of a sudden play, uh, you know, both Pedersen and Toffoli is like a two-on-one because Pedersen has gotten around Theodore. So, you know, none of those goals uh, are really going to get stopped by almost anybody. I mean, maybe Leonard comes up with one miraculous save out of those three, and you're talking about a different game, but you're asking a lot of your goaltender. And so I would not go so far as to say that Leonard has struggled. And so as I've said this all the time, I consider starting goaltenders in the postseason a lot like a, you know, kind of quarterback competition in football. I think, you know, kind of going back and forth between guys, starting a guy, you know, one week in football and then going to another guy, another week in football, or, you know, we even see it in college where you'll alternate quarters with quarterbacks really ultimately does no one any good because then no one's really in a rhythm. No one's feeling confident about their game and no one on the rest of the team is feeling confident about either goaltender or in the, or quarterback either because they can see that the coaching staff doesn't have a ton of faith in either guy. I mean, the old cliche is if you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. And so you, I think you could apply that to hockey in the playoffs. Cause obviously you need probably two starting goaltenders in the regular season. That's certainly becoming the trend in the NHL right now. But if you have two starting goalies for the playoffs, I think you really have none. And I think Pete DeBoer recognizes that, which is why outside of the back-to-backs and one round Robin game, He's probably going to keep sticking with Robin Leonard until he really gives him a reason not to put him back in the crease. And I don't think Leonard did that last night. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, like I said, I, I I just think if Flurry goes back in right now, you invite in all the noise. You, you invite in all the, the distractions and all the questions of, well, why wasn't he playing before? And, you know, what are you going to do going forward? And. You know, if especially if Flurry comes in and plays well, you know, then you got to go back to him. And then everybody starts asking about the tweet. It's it's such a firestorm. It's such a media frenzy. I mean, we love it. It's great stories. You know, it would be great for the review journal. <laughs> Readers would love it. We'd have great stuff, you know, but I just think if I'm putting myself in, in Pete DeBoer's shoes, I, I don't let any of that enter into the equation. And the irony is that the Golden Knights very much do not like this. I mean, they are, I would say, you know, no team really wants this, but they especially, I think from, you know, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon on down, really don't like quote unquote distractions. They don't like the fact that Flurry is making his displeasure public. They probably really don't like that Jonathan Marchessault is, like I said, allegedly on his verified Instagram account. We don't know if that was technically him or someone else taking shots at you know, commentators, they don't like kind of, you know, outside things to kind of seep in to the conversation around their team. So they especially, I think, are going to be, you know, unwilling to invite that in unless it really gives them the best chance to win. Because I still do believe 
beat DeBoer and take him at face value when he says, I will do what I think is best to you know lead this team to a Stanley Cup. And if he truly believes that he thinks playing Marc-Andre Fleury is going to help this team win a game in this series, then no, I think he would start Fleury kind of outside noise aside. But I just don't think he's at that place right now. Yeah, I think... I'll say this. I don't think he's at that place right now, but everything we've said aside, if Marc-Andre Fleury is, if it's the right spot, whether it's a back-to-back, whether they get into a position where they're behind in the series and you feel like you need to kind of throw the Hail Mary and Marc-Andre Fleury's it, they would play to the wall for him. I, I, I'm struggling to like find a, uh, a PG phrase or whatever for, for it. But I mean, you know, those guys would play hard in front of Flurry. And maybe if you're a coach and, and you're trying to figure out how to get out of a hole in a series and, and, you know, you need the ace in the hole, it's that those guys would play, you know, they would play incredibly hard for Flurry. And maybe that's what you can dig out of a hole with. If they get to that point, Maybe I think it becomes an option. Then maybe I think if you're Pete DeBoer, you look harder at it. But especially for game three, you know, right now, no need to panic. You know, Robin Leonard's your starter. You lost one game. You know, if it was reversed and Marc-Andre Fleury was in there and we said, oh, they, they're 1-1, would you stick Robin Leonard in because Marc-Andre Fleury struggled? I don't think so. And, and I, I just, I think if you're going to take a step back, look at it as a neutral, look at it objectively, you know, that that to me is kind of how you have to have to view it. Yeah, we'll see ultimately what the Knights decide to do in game three. We both think they will stick with Robin Leonard, but we will wait to get official word on that. Uh, most likely tomorrow, though, Dave and I are about to hop on a night Zoom call. So we can certainly try to find that out today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As a reminder, the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Sunday Ticket Deal Dash and Favor Drinkafavor.com. Also, please make sure to check out all our work at ReviewJournal.com and rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.